0: It's time! Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever and whenever you may be listening to this, another edition of the Black and Blue Pod coming at you this episode a very special guest i've been trying to get on the show for a long time now Uh, i really admire his company he is the creator and founder of ebbets fields flannels which specializes in uh made to order vintage uh jersey apparel which features wool baseball jerseys a rarity in today's uh athletic apparel market he's also a former rock star and a former first baseman uh the one and only mr jerry cohen so jerry thank you for coming on the show
1: thank you 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 embarrassed me my my rock star days are long behind me
0: (laughs) (laughs) so let's just jump into your background you were born in brooklyn in 1958 uh that was obviously the year after the dodgers moved from brooklyn to los angeles was baseball always a big part of your life growing up in brooklyn
1: yeah, I think, you know, like many people, just directly from my dad who, um, like like lots of Brooklyn Dodger fans, transferred his allegiance to the Mets in 1962, <laughs> and so I, you know, my backdrop to growing up that I remember is the TV being on with a baseball game and uh, that taking my dad's attention away from what I wanted him to do, so... That eventually led to a, uh, a little bit of an education and he was a big part of the whole um, my whole sense of baseball because he talked about the history a lot and he talked about things like Jackie Robinson who he saw when he first came up so my interest in what ended up being Ebbets Flannels was really peaked at that at that very early age. So what were you
0: mentioned the Uh, great Jackie Robinson. Who were some of those players that you grew up idolizing, whether it was with the Dodgers or the Mets or the Yankees?
1: Well, with me, it was the Mets. So I was too young, obviously, to to truly be a Dodgers fan in Brooklyn. Um, But I I think everyone is very influenced by the age that they became aware of following whatever their team is. And so for me, it was the 60s. And fortunately, it was a fantastic uh, era to – to go to the ballpark and see people like Hank Aaron, who he just lost, of course, and mm-hmm. Bob Gibson and Willie Mays and, uh, Roberto Clemente and, uh, that whole generation, Juan Marichal, you know, goes on and on Tom Seaver, of course. Um, so, so that was, a i I think that it's like music. And you mentioned that I'm a musician too, and great era for music, great era, for, great era for baseball.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, for me growing up in the early 2000s that was like the prime peak of the phillies and mm-hmm. you know we we have some hope a little bit not too much but we have some hope now and the that 2008 world series team will always be like for me ryan howard will always be one of my favorite players and i will always defend him on
1: that hill yeah i and, mean uh, i think we all we all have our our uh favorites and uh I think the experience of um, learning to love the game at such at that age, when you're so impressionable, you know that never leaves you. I could tell you many things about the 1969 Mets season, and I probably can't remember much about two years ago. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> just just because that's how powerful those those images and those experiences were. So, have you been uh,
0: keeping track with the bets recently? We're getting a little bit sidetracked here, but, well, I you know.
1: What the indoor trade? They're a very painful team to be a fan of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's a feast or famine team, and when they win, it's magical, and when they lose, it's years of drudgery and bad decision making. <laughs> so you know, you're just cursed. I couldn't have been, you know, born a Yankee fan, which which I was. Was thought was funny because the, the I always used to joke with a fellow Mets fan of mine that Yankee fans would go crazy if they didn't win the World Series in a year, you know, <laughs> in any given year, and they would get all upset. Whereas Mets fans, you know, you're just you're just hoping for some competence. Um, but you know, I don't. I I have to admit that I'm not the I'm not a fan like I was 20 years ago. I mean, uh, many things about the game are not as appealing to me now as, as maybe they were at one time. So I'm not a D I'm not a designated hitter fan. I hate to be one mm. of those cranky old guys, but <laughs> I, I guess I, and it's not just that it's different things stylistically, mostly. Um, a lot of it is uniforms, but, um, but I, I love it. I still go, you know, I'm, I'm sitting right now a couple of blocks from where the Mariners play. Um, mm. so I, you know, yeah, it's, it's still a great thing to do on a nice day and uh, if the Mets happen to get hot like they did a few years ago when they went to the series then I'm very very involved yeah. but it's hard to follow you know being on the West Coast in an American League town obviously there's access to the internet now so you can follow it as much as you want but um, given that I'm in baseball sort of in my working life every day I don't really want to go home and then turn on a ball game necessarily yeah yeah, I'm sure it's gets a little bit overwhelming. Um Yeah.
0: So what was what was uh your career like as a musician? Because I feel like that's something that doesn't get really get talked uh, about and I feel like I feel like there are a couple of good stories in
1: there somewhere. Brief, brief and unsuccessful.
0: No. Um
1: <laughs> you know, I it's funny because I the band I'm in now, I mean I I, I came out of retirement after twenty nine years. Um wow. a couple of years ago. And I'm I'm now playing in a great band. And in fact, uh, I'm making, I'm a big Elvis Costello fan. And mm-hmm. um, his longtime keyboardist, Steve Naive, is playing on our newest our record that we're working on now. So that was like as wow. big a thrill to me as meeting, you know, Mickey Mantle or something. Um, <laughs> that's my my whole other life. But I sort of gave it up when I started Ebbesfield Flannels in 1988. It was so all-consuming; it took all my creative energy that I really stopped playing music for a very, very long time. Um, never stopped listening, but I wasn't active in the music scene or anything. Everybody thinks, "Oh, you must have seen Nirvana and all this." I quit. I quit. I like to tell people I got out of the music scene in Seattle at the exact worst time. It was right before all those bands hit, um, <laughs> and, and so. It was like two years later, all the grunge bands that we all know and love now uh, impacted the world, and I had already sort of hung up the guitar at that point. So besides Elvis Costello,
0: were there any other like memorable bands that you or your parents kind of raised you up on? Yeah. for me? For me, Frank Sinatra is a big artist in my household.
1: Yeah, I love Sinatra No, I was a total Beatles Stones guy Growing up Total Beatles freak, crazy Still am um, Minutia about the Beatles I mean, just last night I downloaded uh, People get into it on such a deep level But I I downloaded a, um, a series someone did Where they re-recorded the Abbey Road album Instrument by instrument Using all the same equipment And microphones and instruments And I, wow. I'm fascinated by that kind of stuff I love the... Uh, I love the uh, sausage making aspect, you know, of, of mm. how they put their records together with the technology available at the time. So, things like that. Um, I have met, I've been fortunate, I've met some of my musical heroes, some through doing this, um, and uh, some through just happenstance. But uh, I'm a big fan of the alt rock band The Replacements from the 80s. So, okay. I practically joined them on their reunion tour in 2015 and wow. um they're ba- they're baseball guys too, so that was fun um so, and and uh yeah, so I'm, I still you know pay a lot of attention to the musician the musicians that I like, not necessarily the contemporary scene, which I don't know a lot of a lot about,
0: yeah, I don't blame you there, I don't know much about the contemporary rock scene either yeah, uh, so you mentioned the uh like you were fascinated by how music gets composed and how Sure. These instruments come together and make and make uh, fantastic vibrations. Was that sort of your similar fascination with jersey making
1: and how yeah, going back I, to Negro League baseball it was, and like, reproducing it was all these really, great uniforms? Um, yeah i I loved uniforms as a kid even even then I would draw i would doodle the logos and stuff in school when I was supposed to be learning whatever they were trying <laughs> to teach me so i would i I loved the graphics, whether it was baseball uniforms or football helmet logos you know I was fascinated with that aspect of sports really from nine ten years old. And much later on, when I started the company, kind of I had that background, so I have a really good. I'm not a graphic artist; I can't draw to save my life, but I have a really good eye. I can look at a historical picture and translate that into a contemporary. Um, the ability to to make an actual garment, um, and that's that's not something everybody has. It's a very odd and unique skill, but I, <laughs> but I was born with that, so. Um, I'm, I'm very good at being more of a I I call myself a curator rather than a designer because mm. I'm, I'm sort of going back into the history and I'm saying, okay, that looks like a one quarter inch trim on the sleeve and that looks like a three inch felt letter, you know, that sort of thing, um, so, which in my line of work is, is a very necessary skill.
0: Yeah, so I was about to ask. You mentioned like small differences like that on how wide or how narrow the trimming may be. Mm-hmm. Like what What is that creative process like when you're trying to to uh, recreate these jerseys to the letter, like to the actual best to your ability?
1: Well, you know, there. It's really just trying to get it right and not mess with it and uh, not. But I mean, one of my criticisms of contemporary uniforms, even when they try to do a a turn back the clock or a throwback, is people, designers can't help putting themselves in the way and, and, uh, Mm. you know, augmenting it or making it a little bit more contemporary. What I love about the original uniforms is they were so odd and inconsistent in so many ways not so much in the major leagues, but in the minor leagues and certainly the Negro leagues, if you look at a team picture of any given team, you'll see at least two players wearing a non-conforming uniform. And we used to jokingly call that the non-conforming uniform rule, that you you had – there was some law that (laughs) two of the guys got last year's jersey or or the hat is different (laughs) or the sock stripe pattern is different. So I just love those inconsistencies and I I love those – human kind of uh differences which which have been completely eliminated today because everything is so monolithic um and so that's kind of the stuff that I look for um is what are the what are the little oddities about that particular design that make it that give it its charm mm. I guess that's a good way to put it
0: definitely uh what was so what was that first like was there a specific jersey or a specific team that you were trying to recreate that sparked this whole interest in creating it into a major company?
1: Well, um, initially it was just a desire to have the thing for myself and not to start a company. That idea came later when I, I really got obsessed and I I located after many all well, you kids out there there was a time when there was no internet and you actually had to go to (laughs) libraries and look through trade journals and and get on the phone um and so through through that process which took many months um i located a stash of original wool flannel because it wasn't being manufactured anymore of course they had switched to everyone had switched to double knit polyester by 1972 most in 1971 so um so that fabric didn't exist. So obviously I couldn't have a company making authentic flannel uniforms without the flannel, you know, fabric. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I found a guy who had warehoused some flannel, some of it went back to the forties, and I wish I could have kept it because it had the original tags on it and everything. But wow. I was trying to get started so I had to cut it up and, and uh sell shirts. Um and I just started making one at a time for other people. You know I had a pattern made or several patterns actually because there there are many different patterns historically, and then uh that it sort of evolved into a company, just followed the demand, and we got bigger and we finally said, "Oh, maybe we need to move out of the apartment and into an office." Mm-hmm. so we did that in nineteen ninety and uh and then sports Illustrated did a story on us in the summer of ninety, and that really uh had us take off so yeah,
0: I, you mentioned that Sports Illustrated cover. What now as a business, made-to-order business model, I'm sure, was incredibly mm-hmm. difficult before the pandemic. Now, yeah. what has that been like trying to handle the pandemic challenges and what's
1: the plan moving forward? Well, it's it's been interesting because – uh, we really didn't know, like, like everybody, I mean, we're all in the same boat. We didn't know what to expect in March when this all started. And it was a pretty scary environment to be honest for a little while. And then, um, because our, our supply chain shut down, even if we, we were able to continue shipping, we had to close our retail store. So that was, that was unfortunate. Um, but our supply chain you know the wool the the uh the factories that make the components you know we couldn't get anything for several months and what kept us going is we did have a lot of inventory you know fortunately we had we mm-hmm. had overbought and we had t-shirts we had caps we had stuff to sell and we had wool so we we were able to keep keep going and uh it ironically, it turned into one of our best years and it forced us to be creative and it forced us to cut some costs. And, um, you know, it was painful. I don't know that I'd want to go through it again that that quite that way. But at the end of the day, we really became a leaner, meaner company, more profitable and uh, more efficient. Now I will say that it did lead to some delivery problems because we had big gaps in delivery of, of fabric. And, Mm. um, you know, anybody out there who waited a long time for a jersey i'm very very sorry but um (laughs) it just it just took longer you know we'd run out of one color of wool and we'd have to wait for the mill to open up again and ship and you know so that was very very stressful very difficult um and we're we're sort of coming we're sort of coming out of that now fortunately thankfully thankfully
0: hopefully everything will start turning around soon but uh
1: and and looking forward because you asked about that um i think it's you know More of the same, plus we always are looking for new ideas. Um, You know, right before talking to you, I was working on a group of of, uh, historic caps and putting my research together, and and, uh, you know, you've always got to have the next thing, and it's tough because in in the period of history that we focus on, which is really before the 70s, you know, there are only so many uh, photographs and original um, garments um that that exists that that come to my attention in any in any given time so it's a bit challenging to stay creative and to keep keep doing new things definitely i think that
0: like finding stuff finding new uh designs to use is one of the hardest things because you can't is. make any can't make anything if you don't have any ideas <laughs> that's right. definitely that's definitely a hard step to overcome uh but one product that really drew my attention of this company and why I love your company so much is the NFL, like the authentic jackets, the ground crew jackets, like mm-hmm. they're just, they're just, they're works of art. Like there's no other way to, to phrase it. They're beautiful. Like what, how was that just like going through public records and like, how did you find the designs for some of these and, or did you find these from former players? Like, how did you get the idea for some of well,
1: these? Some are, you know, some are just in books or pictures that you see. A lot of them, though, are are collectors that we know, and it's kind of like my secret information, so I don't divulge it. But there are a a handful of collectors who have some of these original garments and let us look at them. Jackets with the you mentioned the NFL. It's very tough to find jackets because obviously in football. You know, how often do you see pictures of anyone in a jacket? It's mostly on-field stuff. You don't see a lot of jacket images in photography. So, um, you know, people ask why we don't have a jacket for this team or that team, and and usually it's simply because we haven't found a picture of one. Um, (laughs) And with the NFL, it's tough because that's under license, and sometimes the NFL itself – Um, is not as it's not let me put it diplomatically it's not as smooth a process as we would like in getting approvals so just because we find a great jacket you know we still have to get approval from the NFL to actually make it unlike some of our other stuff where we can do what we want Um, and sometimes they don't have um, the resources or they don't have the records to approve it so we have mm. to kind of push back a little and say, no, really, this is what they were in 1933, you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I
0: do think that's like – obviously that's one of the trickiest things is tr- finding records like we were talking about. Is there one, like, NFL team that you wish could, like, change their jerseys and either go back go back to a throwback era or do something completely new?
1: Um, You know – the n f l is interesting because more than other some other sports they really do go back quite a quite a bit i mean I'm a giants fan I, again you know uh that's painful but um <laughs> but their uniforms now, especially the white jersey with the red um same thing they wore in the early sixties and the gray pants you know they went yep. back to that era for that so um oh yes, the team I did think of one i cannot stand that Philadelphia Eagles garbagey mucky green Ouch. dark green it drives Ouch. me crazy i hate it i mean they used to be kelly green it was beautiful it and, was beautiful um, that muddy not green not blue not gray not black uh color is is you know in my opinion uh, uh, an abomination so if i could pit, change one team in the nfl it would be the Philadelphia Eagles I'm sure myself, Myself, I can
0: say, and the rest of the city and fan base is probably behind you on that. I would say
1: 95% so? of us. So there, so there was talk... See, I know a lot of people in Philadelphia. Um, there was talk a couple of years ago of them going back to the regular green, and I don't know what became of it. I didn't follow... Obviously, they I've, didn't do it. I've been trying to follow that storyline
0: for years. And really? One thing, that one thing that kept popping up was with the blowback from concussions the nfl initially installed a rule where an alternate uh helmet like it can't be it has to be the same helmet because a fresh helmet may not be like as used to the impact so it may lead to like more concussions or something like that i don't know it didn't make any sense well and, it's just a
1: color though it doesn't yeah i know actual helmet. just
0: repaint repaint the old helmets i don't care bring back yeah. the
1: kelly green um, yeah, I mean, what is you know what I don't like? It's like trendy, trendy colors like teal. Okay, here's another one. Teal drives me nuts. It's such a '90s gimmick, <laughs> and yet, and yet the Seattle new NHL team. You know, first of all, they made people wait literally two years before they announced the name. Um, yep. And then the name, the name is horrible, in my humble opinion. And then, of course, another damn teal logo. You know, another. <laughs> And I'm like, geez, give it up already. Just just go, you know. They had such an opportunity to you know, of course I'm I'm totally history based. So yeah. they had such an opportunity to do something with the old Seattle Metropolitans. Yep. You know, who actually won a Stanley Cup um and have the great barber pole jerseys that we, we in fact still make. Um, and they opted this gimmicky teal Kraken name, you know. So this this stuff just annoys me. But um, <laughs> the NFL, you know, you take the Eagles aside, and the NFL is actually pretty good about um, going back and uh, looking at their traditional, um, you know, colors and, and things like that. I don't like the Baltimore Ravens uniforms. Uh, very Neither much. Do I. Uh, I find them very gimmicky and very, again, very '90s, early 2000s. I don't think that era has aged very well, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other more recent teams that I don't care for. But um, I was going to
0: ask, as a West Coast guy, what do you think about the uh, the Rams? I don't know if you saw those.
1: the 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 new Rams is like a royal blue and, and gold, right? Have they gone uh, back to that? It's the, it's, yeah, it's a, like a light blue.
0: It's not necessarily a powder blue, but it's like a light blue. And then it's their yeah. numbers have like the
1: faded to yellow blue. It just, when I first, when I first saw it, I thought it was the chargers. Yeah. So I'm exactly. like, why are both, why are both LA teams, you know, light blue and gold? I mean, it's yeah. kind of
0: a, kind Makes of a no waste.
1: Sense. I Makes agree. Some- well, you know what? Again, my opinion, but a lot of this stuff is overthinking and over designing. They yep. they don't they get a they get a committee together or they get a design company and every and they pay them six figures to come up with some goofy color scheme and then they have to justify it because they've paid so much money. When back in the day I hate to be that old guy, but back in the day
0: <laughs> the uniform
1: companies I have these catalogs. You could have you could have black, navy, royal, orange red, maroon, you know, gold, those were the colors you got to pick. Yep. Very little. You know, you did you, you weren't able I look at some of these teams now as well as the colleges and you go to their um websites to see their their team colors and everyone has their own pantone, you know, it has to be exactly yep. this. But it but in the in the days where they made uniforms that wasn't possible. Um it's funny sometimes customers who just aren't well versed in this stuff and why would they be? But they pay, they'll email us and go, I want a custom jersey and we'll be like, Okay, great, what do you want? They want Well, I want dark pinstripes, but I want I don't want them darker as dark as the navy pinstripes. Can you make them a little lighter? And like you don't understand this is wool that's woven in a big mill. I can't just like mix it's not like mixing paint. You know, I can't make your slightly slightly lighter than maroon pinstripes for your one jersey order.
0: Um, it's, not, it's, but it's not something you can adjust you, on a computer.
1: You can't, but they can, no, they can adjust it on a the computer, therefore they think it translates into physical uh, uh, apparel. Ah. And because a lot of contemporary stuff is, that's what they do, it's sublimated. You can make it any color. Yeah, yeah, But for historic stuff, that's just not the case. You're dealing with fabrics. For example, uh, we make wool hockey and football jerseys. I'm looking right down at my knitting machines now, and people are like, again, it's like, well, I kind of want an orange, but a little darker orange than what you – and I'm like, no, that's yarn. I have to buy
0: <laughs> a
1: 1,000 pounds of yarn in your special color. So, no, we're not, not going around we're not going to do that for your one Jersey order. I'm sorry. You can have athletic <laughs> orange. They well, What's the orange? Well, the Cleveland Indians, I mean the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Orioles, that's the orange.
0: Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. And um, I, I love what the Browns
0: did going back to the old school, like block yeah, I like numbering. It's much, much better, especially when you're working with difficult colors, like an orange and a Brown. It's very hard to yeah. make, make sense. Uh, they
1: they're so. great. I just love, I mean, of course, Um, You know, I like the older ones even better, but um, do you know the story? You probably do, but hardly anyone does is when the Browns actually published, they never wore it in a a league game, but they actually published a a helmet with a logo on it in the mid-1960s. Yeah, it had an interlocking CB, kind of a a CB at at an italic sort of angle, um wow. I don't think and, I've heard that story. If you look, you can see it if you if you ever have nothing better to do and you're on Google and look at some of the uh the the uh they remember they used to sell these like little plastic souvenir helmet sets um yeah. back in the day. So that kids bought them, but if you look like 1965 around there in that helmet set there's a Cleveland Browns helmet with a with a brown and and uh white CB. So um and then i guess they they didn't you know the the team what I, the story i heard is is they brought these out and the team rebelled and said we, we're not going to wear them wow so they they never actually made it into it might have made it into a preseason game some of the browns fans may may be able to shed light on that but um so i, I that stuff like that you know is is very interesting to me yeah that uh as a
0: as a fellow sports historian enthusiast, I guess the best way I could describe myself is uh, I definitely do love those little nods to the past or those little tiny stories that don't necessarily make it out to the public. Or mm-hmm. you get those really uh, radical uniforms, like as a Phillies fan, the all maroon jerseys. The all back burgundy, in Le- yeah. The all burgundy yeah. Yep. It hurts my, it either hurts my eyes or I love it to death. There's like no in-between sometimes. Yeah,
1: that's true. Uh, um, you know, that one, and then there were a few others like that. The Indians had an all red one, which is fairly painful. Um, oh, but it was, yeah. it was a similar idea. Um, I think the double knit era in the, in the 70s when they were, before they sort of sorted it out when everybody was just going crazy because of all the colors suddenly available yep. um, is an inter- I used to hate it, but now I think it's an interesting era. Um, <laughs> the, the, ver- the variety of, of stuff that they threw out there. Some of it was awful, but I mean, if you remember then the pirates had like three different uniforms that they mixed and matched, oh, they had a, yeah. a, well, a gold one, a black one, and a, and a two-tone pinstripe and then they would wear the pinstripe jersey with the gold pants you know Ugh. or 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 switch it up somehow um uh, that was an interesting period for for uniforms I, i'm not the, sure that i would want to make any of them but but it was <laughs> interesting
0: they're nice to look at not necessarily something you're going to wear but they're nice to look right. at no, nonetheless no, the fabric is
1: hard the fabric is horrible
0: yeah I'm 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 sure it. I'm sure the '70s were not the best time for most comfortable or most breathable clothing, no. to say the least.
1: You know, one one of the things that has dogged me throughout my now 32 years of doing this is when people look at our wool flannel jerseys and say, "That must have been so hot. How did they ever wear that?" Well, <laughs> if you've ever worn an early '70s double knit polyester uniform that doesn't breathe. <laughs> you know, if you've ever if if you've ever been unfortunate uh, like myself to have a teenage job at a fast food chain or a hotel where they had polyester uniforms, you know what I'm talking about. But you wear that in the heat is way worse than the wool flannel because the wool flannel was cut loose and it was, and it breathed. Wow. Whereas the double knit polyester, the double knit polyester was not gone to because of comfort it was it was gone to because it was easier to launder and and repair you did you didn't have any uh you know with the wool if somebody slid into second base they could tear the the wool flannel and somebody would have to clubhouse guy would have to fix it or get a new pair of pants or whatever whereas the polyester is kind of indestructible and they wow. could just throw it in the washing machine. So it's a yeah. myth that the that the wool, especially in the '60s and '50s, the the wool by that point was actually very comfortable um, because mm. they were blend. They were already blending in synthetics, so it was probably fifty percent wool, forty okay. percent wool. Yeah, and that's actually the wool we use mostly is that era. That definitely
0: is a like a misconception that gets tossed around yeah. a lot. I think it's because it's a black and white photo. You think, oh, it must be super heavy because it's super. Well, old. people
1: associate people associate wool with with being uncomfortable, and that's that's very unfortunate. Uh, mm-hmm. And they usually don't realize that before the synthetics after World War II uh, existed, all athletic uniforms were wool, and it's because even basketball tank tops were wool, and it's because it was the only. Um, textile that was uh strong enough to, to withstand athletic competition they didn't use cotton generally um so you know uh, it, it's quite a, a little bit of a, a misnomer or a, a myth that wool was necessarily less comfortable than the later uniforms
0: that makes sense i did, I did not know that i was not aware of that learn something new every day <laughs> so I wanted to go through some of the newer, or I shouldn't say newer, but, like, some of the more recent uh, jerseys from Major League Mm -hmm. Baseball and pit them head-to-head and see which one you like better. So, first one to start off, uh, Chicago Cubs or the Cardinals? St. Louis
1: Cardinals. Okay, so the Cubs, um, the current uniform? Yes. Yes. Okay, you know, I'm I'm going to admit that I am not as up on the current as I used to be. So just the – are we talking about just the pinstripes? Just the
0: whole logo, like the whole logo, the pinstripes, all of it put together. Because to me, the Cardinals do have an underrated logo in Major League Baseball. And it's like oh yeah, timeless.
1: Yeah, theirs is great. Um, what's interesting about the Cardinals, though I think they changed it now, is it was the only case that I'm aware of where they wore St. Louis for some reason on the home uniform for a while and Cardinals on the road uniform, which is the opposite of what everybody else ever did. And I think now they've changed that, but um, I thought that was very odd. The Cubs, basically based on the 1960s wool flannel with the royal pinstripes, I'm always going to say that the, the traditional-based logos are the ones that I like. Um, I'm looking at the Cubs now. Um, you know, if they could just resist putting that circle R on the thing, that would make it a little nicer. But I guess they can't. Um, <laughs> the Cubs Cubs also went through some real crazy stuff in the 70s. You know, really? they those V-neck they had those V-neck powder blue pinstripe polyester oh, pull, pullover yeah. shirts you remember those yeah that that wasn't one of my favorite eras but um yeah the cubs really really went a little crazy
0: that's the 70s Uh, in a nutshell let's put a v-neck on a baseball uniform
1: the v-necks were really bad um they really really didn't didn't age well aesthetically but um you know another another one that i can't stand even though the team was such a great team was the mid 70s big red machine Cincinnati Reds uniforms they were also um V-neck pullovers and uh you know the triple belts the triple stripe belts like red white red oh
0: um, yep yep yep
1: yeah i can i just don't i don't like those at all a lot of teams had those those belts one of the best things that happened in the 80s is um team started to go back to traditional belts and and button down shirts at least so there was mm-hmm. some improvement my biggest pet peeve of all though you didn't ask me in modern uniforms is not the uniform it's the pl- player choice the long pants that go down to the shoe just you should be arrested if you do that it really they, <laughs> they should just enforce the rule that all aspects of the uniform have to be worn properly so do you so some, so do you like yeah. the, the, or do you like it when it like cuffs
0: and it doesn't like go over the shoe
1: no I like showing the stirrup with the with the sanitary sock underneath okay you know okay um, that's that's what look at the teams like the Red Sox and Cardinals they have classic those the stripe patterns on the socks were a, an integral part of the uniform design so when yeah. players just decided to cover up the sock which to me was a bizarre fashion choice but nevertheless it caught on and then and then there was a counter trend of course where the ones that went back to the knicker style pants but they wore just a solid color one color sock you know all the way up to the knee yeah and and to me that isn't right either you know it's like yeah you gotta have the you gotta have the stirrup and the and the under and the white you know um sanitary sock and and some players are some players are doing that again, just in the last two or three years.
0: Hopefully, that brings something back. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, my next, my next pair that I wanted to bring up was uh, like the '60s Mets or the Mickey Mantle and '50s New York Yankees jerseys.
1: Oh, they're both great. You know, the the Yankees just for the classic simplicity. Yeah. Um, just the the road New York. Before they in the when they went to Dublin it, they outlined it in white, but um, in the flannel days it was just as block New York, you know mm-hmm. it's almost like we're the Yankees, <laughs> we don't need to do anything <laughs> we, special. Our place you know, is solidified.
0: We, we don't have. To yeah, do anything. that's
1: exactly it. It just it just displayed so much confidence. It's like while the White Sox were changing their design every two or three years, the Yankees year after year after year like no we're good. You know, we're the Yankees, we don't need to mess with it, you know. Yeah. Um, the, Met, the Mets, of course, I like for personal reasons, but for his, the historical thing there, of course, as you probably know, is they borrowed, the, um, they borrowed from all three New York teams, the, the two National League teams that left that they replaced. Um, they took the blue from the Dodgers and the orange mm-hmm. from the Giants, and then they took the pinstripe from the Yankees. So, there was kind of a purpose to their to their uniform design, but I love those early Mets uniforms,
0: yeah, yeah
1: i the Mets i
0: as much as I don't like the Mets as a divisional rival, I gotta give mm-hmm. credit they're they're very good uniforms, and blue and orange is blue, oh. orange, and white, like we were talking about with Cleveland that's a very hard uh color combination, and they do it mm-hmm. right by keeping it simple and like we were talking well, about okay. not over designing it. Sometimes.
1: Well, speaking of the Mets and over designing, you remember that awful period that lasted way too long when they added black. Oh. To their, t- oh. I mean, just don't. I was just like, just it's it's a cry for help. You know, it's just like we are so de- <laughs> they were so they were so desperately had so desperately become the second team in New York that they were willing to try anything to get some sort of fashion cred at the time and so the idea was we'll just add black to if they had simply gone to black and orange to to kind of uh reflect the old new york giants that would have been okay but they just tried to have it all ways we're going to keep the traditional blue and orange but then we're going to add black and so they were mixing royal blue with black which is like almost the worst combination i can imagine (laughs) <laughs> um, and it was hard to be a Mets fan like me and watch and watch them in those god awful black uniforms mixed with royal blue, it was really terrible. And they they finally regained their senses oh, several years ago and got rid of the the black experiment was was over.
0: Because those were the was that when uh, Mike Piazza was playing?
1: Yeah, and they had some good teams in that period. I mean, I I, I went to the uh, two thousand World Series, you know, where they played the Yankees, and um, and they had, they had some pretty good teams, but it was just a terrible color scheme, and so yeah. they finally just they, they finally just gave up and went back to the original sixties based, you know, and but they vary it, you know, they wear a solid blue, I think, uh, jersey sometimes. In addition yeah. to the pinstripe.
0: So my next one was, well, this will be the last one was, the Milwaukee Brewers from the nineties where they had the glove logo, versus, oh yeah, yeah, versus the Phillies powder blue from the eighties.
1: Oh, I, I, I'm not a big fan of either of those. Um You know, yeah, they're okay, either one of them. Um, the the you know brings me to the story you think of the Brewers. The f- first Brewers uniforms, they literally were Seattle Pilots uniforms, and they ripped the lettering off um, because they they had no time to actually order uniforms. The team uh, that was the Seattle Pilots was not transferred till Milwaukee, believe it or not, till April first. Wow. Of that season. So, so they literally got the team from spring training, which they, as, as a spring training, they were still the Seattle pilots. Uh, the team was in a court proceeding. It went to Bud Selig of all people, uh, uh-huh. was able to purchase them out of bankruptcy and they had to do something about the uniforms because the home uniforms said pilots and the road uniforms said Seattle, so they literally tore the letters off, and you still had if you remember the Seattle pilot uniforms with the with the captain stripes on the sleeve, like a alternating blue and gold stripes, it was really insane for that period, so they still had that on the first year brewer uniforms, but they just put brewers in in lettering over what had been pilots or Seattle so wow that's that's my brewer's story. <laughs> the Phillies have really, you know, my favorite Phillies period is still the the Whiz Kids uh, through the '60s, you know, through the Dick Allen era. Mm. You know, the red pinstripe home with the cha- that's a chain stitch embroidered um, Phillies on the front, and they even had an embroidered um, number on the back, extra large number, and um, that's still my favorite Phillies uniform, which they which I, they went back to all, as well. Yep. Uh, more or more or less. Yeah, the the uniforms now,
0: I I'm starting to get a little bit sick of them. I think they're their primary uniforms, they're a little bit too like cartoonish and a little too like kitty. Like I I feel yeah. like you got to go back to like block lettering. Uh and I don't mind their their cream, like their cream off-white alternates when they play like during the day.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh
0: I, I don't mind those jerseys, but it is starting to get to a point where we need to like freshen, freshen it up a little bit. Let's get something new in here. Uh, you can't rely on the powder blues for all, all your popularity and all your jersey sales. It only gets True. to a point.
1: So I have another. I have a good Phillies story too, um, uniform wise. So you know the Phillies were perennial losers in the '40s and they decided to to rebrand or they didn't call it that back then and they decided <laughs> you probably know this they decided to change their name to the blue jays but i, I did not know this you didn't know this okay i so did not as you, an avid
0: phillies fan I, i'm ashamed that i didn't know this
1: <laughs> so they changed their name to the, the the blue jays but the problem is they didn't follow through and uh, they literally had. I'm looking at it now. What year was it? i will say it's 1945, 44. So they put a blue jay on the left sleeve, um, oh, but the but the main lettering still said Phillies. I'm like, what? if you're if you're trying to if you're trying to uh, change your name and your and rebrand, leaving the 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 name you're trying to get rid of is maybe not the smartest branding move in the world, but if you look up nineteen forty four um Phillies uniforms, you'll see what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, I see them. I've seen that Blue Jay logo before,
0: but I never knew yeah. what it
1: meant. Yeah. Yeah, they 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 did kind of a what I would call a partial rebranding and it didn't take. You know, the yeah. fans didn't never call the team the Blue Jays and so they just sort of like quietly dropped it after a year or two. Um <laughs> But that's what I was, it's like what I was talking about earlier of of all the oddities and inconsistencies of the old uniforms is, is the thing that makes it a lot more fun. And you would never have that today. There would be a total rebranding with a rollout of alternate jerseys and God knows what else.
0: Yeah, but then and, they're just
1: and, like, huh, you know, we'll just add a blue jay to the sleeve and call it good.
0: <laughs> I And I think that's part of like the times they were living in was back in the 40s. You could get away with rebranding it and then quietly dropping with the internet now everyone's going to be on top of wait why is this jersey different or they'll just absolutely make a mockery of your team for not even getting a rebranding done right (laughs) yep that is true so are you a fan of as with a company that makes great baseball caps are you a fan of or do you hate the uh the like manufacturers tag patch on the
1: side of most mass producers you hate no, hate. That's why we don't, that's why we don't do it. You know, we, we feel like we're selling a historical cap. We're not selling a branded piece we're advertising on, mm. you know, which maybe hurts us from a marketing standpoint, but um, you know, I just think that I'm a purist in terms of, if you're talking about a historical thing, then do it right. And, and they did not put, you know, uh, manufacturers, logos, embroidery, uh, on the side of hats um, ever they do now but um, and so we don't do that
0: you know that, we, that we want sense. the thing
1: to be we want it to be a pure representation of what was worn on the field at that particular time
0: yeah and I, I didn't understand it growing up I, I thought people were being a little bit ridiculous but as I've grown older it is annoying when a manufacturer just throws their logo, either on the side or they fill like the entire inside of the hat. Like the entire top has like Adidas lined in it or Nike yeah. lined in it, and that that really does bother me a lot because I'm not wearing it as a as a Nike hat. I'm wearing it as a a Phillies hat, a Penn
1: State hat, whatever exactly. it may be. Well, uh, be lucky that right, we're ahead. not. You know, no, I was going to say that um, I I feel way worse for the people who are european soccer fans because or even american soccer fans because it's just the jersey is just a giant advertisement you know for yep. for a company you know i don't want to root for the uh, la uh herbal life's you know <laughs> <laughs> and i don't want to root for the seattle xboxes um yeah i just can't can't take it you know it's just unacceptable to me (laughs) you know i'm doing i'm doing more the reason i'm thinking of this because i'm doing more soccer now and uh i'm doing a lot of research on soccer and boy the old european um soccer uniforms are so clean and, and elegant and whenever they when they started to just make them corporate advertising is where about where i lose interest i lose interest too because
0: even I would hear about Major League Soccer or I would catch a highlight here and there. And like you said, the Seattle Xboxes as a kid, that just didn't make any sense to me. And I was yeah. like, that that's just ugh. It's just not a good look at all. So nope. uh so to wrap up this interview, thank you for coming on the show again. Uh really sure. appreciate it. Uh I like to do a little lightning round segment. I like to call it off the dome, where I give you 30 seconds to get through five questions as quickly as possible. Sound good? I'll try. I'll try. Yep. All right. Three, two, one. One Dodgers pitcher to pitch in a game seven. Sandy Koufax or Clayton Kershaw? Who are you picking?
1: Oh, I'm a Koufax man.
0: Better guitarist with the name Jimmy. Jimmy Hendrix or Jimmy Page?
1: I'll go Hendricks.
0: Goodfellas or The Godfather?
1: Oh, I like both, so that's tough. But I'll have to, I'll have to go Godfather if, if uh, those are the choices. Uh, Seinfeld
0: or Curb, your enthusiasm? Curb all the way. Who wins a championship first, Jets or Giants? Giants.
1: Jets right, will 30... never win another championship.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot, of, a lot of fans that will probably agree with you deep down. Uh, I wish it so, weren't true,
1: but but I think it is.
0: <laughs> hey, I thought the Eagles would never win a championship, and then they won one in twenty seventeen. You never know; it just takes one year, any given Sunday. That's true.
1: That's true, but you guys let me down when you played Washington in that last game because the Giants oh, would have gotten. Oh, up.
0: oh, don't even
1: get me started. <laughs> don't even get me started. I was at an airport in Mexico following that damn game. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's when you know the fandom is real. That's when the
1: fandom
0: is real. What's up, guys? Matt here. Thank you all for tuning in to another special edition of the Black and Blue Pod. It's because of you guys that we get to do something incredibly special and unique. Uh, Make sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms. If you're not already, make sure to just look up Black and Blue Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever and we'll be one of the first ones to pop up, and there will be a link tree in each bio uh, to point you to other uh, platforms that we're on, Uh, and please, please, please make sure that you're following us, subscribing us on your favorite podcast platform, or on YouTube, which we're also on, and please do share it with friends, family members, whoever you think may be interested, whether it's Your parents, your siblings, your dogs, your cats, your neighbors, your neighbor's cats. I don't care. Just please share. Uh, uh, Spreading it by word will probably be the best way that this thing takes off. But in the meantime, I'll catch you guys at the next episode. Thank you all again for tuning in. It's because of you guys I get to keep doing this and creating something special. So thanks again a million times over. And I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Peace.